Brothers and sisters, thank you for welcoming us into your homes again. We're so glad to have you worshiping as part of our Trinity family today, no matter where today finds you. This morning, we continue our series, Digital Babylon, Resilient Faith for Exiles. The two previous sermons are available on our YouTube channel and on our podcast feed. Today, I'd like to jump right into our scripture reading. David and Goliath is a story that is familiar to many of us. Even if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, you're probably familiar with the basic gist of the story. The young underdog, armed with only a sling and some stones, sent out to face impossible odds. The shepherd boy versus the warrior giant. David walks out onto the battlefield full of confidence that God always wins his battles and God was going to win this one too. But have you ever asked the question, how did David get to that point in life? How did a shepherd boy, the youngest in a line of eight sons, a boy from a small, insignificant village, develop such a strong faith that God not only could defeat his enemies, but that he would? Where does that kind of resilience come from? What can we learn from his story that can help us as we seek to become resilient disciples? To answer that question, we need to go back a bit earlier in the story. You see, you don't just wake up one day with that kind of faith. It's something that's developed over time and often out of sight. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, God sent the prophet Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint the new king of Israel. God sent Samuel to the home of Jesse to anoint one of Jesse's sons. So they come before the prophet one by one, all the sons in the home, but God says none of them are the future king. Samuel's told there's, there's one more son, the youngest boy out in the field watching the sheep. They send for him and David comes before Samuel and God tells Samuel, this is the one, and David's anointed. In chapter 17, the story begins long before verse 40, where Mark started reading for us today. The story begins with the Philistines and the Israelites set up for a battle. One army on this hill, the other army on that hill. Now in those days, before the main battle was fought, each side would send forth a champion to fight. And the winner of that fight was seen as a sign from the gods who would win the battle. Goliath is the Philistine champion, and he comes out day after day looking for a challenger and taunting the army of Israel. He does this every morning and evening for 40 days. No one in the army of Israel would take up the challenge. Not even King Saul who they said stood a head taller than everyone else. So David sent by his father to take some food to his brothers who were serving in the army and to bring back a report of how they're faring. David hears the challenge from Goliath and he cannot believe that no one will face the Philistine. David is brought before Saul and declares that he will go and fight the giant. 
You can, you can almost imagine Saul laughing and patting David on the head. He's like, oh, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're only a boy. He's a warrior. But I want you to listen to David's response from 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, David understood that God would go with him into battle because David had seen God do it before with the lions and the bears. All that time David had spent in the field watching the sheep, which, remember, is where he was when Samuel came to anoint him. All that time David had been developing a relationship of intimacy with God. He experienced God in an intimate way. That's how over days and weeks and months, he got to know the Lord in such a way that he could write, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That's how David became what God called a man after my own heart. The time David spent hidden away in obscurity led to his development of an re intimate relationship with God. The story in 1 Samuel 17 goes on to say that before he sent David out to face Goliath, Saul dressed David in his own personal armor. But David couldn't wear Saul's armor because he wasn't used to it. And I'd imagine it was too big for him. David couldn't wear Saul's armor because David wasn't Saul. And he couldn't pretend to be Saul. David knew who God was. And he knew who he was. So he took off Saul's armor. And he went into battle with his staff and his sling. You heard the rest when Mark read it earlier. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Now this has everything to do with living life in exile in digital Babylon. If we are going to develop followers of Jesus who remain resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion, and live vibrant lives in the spirit, we must develop an identity-shaping intimacy with Jesus. Among those young adults who grew up in the church, and remember, this isn't just for the young people. Go back and watch the May 3rd sermon if you haven't seen it, or, or if you need a refresher. But among those young adults who grew up in the church, 100% of nomads, those who kind of drift out of church. 100% of churchgoers, those who attend church once a month but hold more to the values of the world, 
and 100% of resilient disciples who attend church at least once a month and remain faithful to biblical values, 100% of those three groups self-identify with the Christian faith. If they didn't, they would have been put in the prodigal category, those who choose to leave the church. But 100% of nomads, churchgoers, and resilient disciples identify with the Christian faith. However, only 58% of nomads and 81% of churchgoers would identify themselves as a Christian. And if pushed further, only 49% of churchgoers would say that their relationship with Jesus impacts the way they live their everyday life. That's less than half. Less than half of churchgoers believe their Christian faith impacts how they live from Monday through Saturday. That number drops below a quarter for the nomads. The numbers are similar even in response to a statement following Jesus shapes my whole life. I mentioned last week that people are asking five major questions in their lives. And last week we looked at how meaningful relationships help us answer the question, am I loved? But another giant question in our lives is, who am I? Now in Digital Babylon, there are any number of voices trying to answer that question for us. You're just a shepherd boy, the runt of the family, a little boy. That's what the voices told David. But the voices of Digital Babylon tell us that we need to define our own brand. You see, we live in a world of social media influencers and personal brands. 26% of teenagers believe they're probably going to be famous by the time they turn 25. This culture tells us we can and should define our own identity. We just need to look inside ourselves and determine what is true about us and our desires and pursue that. We must define who we are for ourselves. In the modern, much of the modern church, we've been co-opted into this way of thinking. And rather than offering people a relationship with Jesus, we've offered them something more like brand Jesus. We offer an affiliation with Jesus on the same level as any other affiliation, like the Rotary Club or a football team fan base, rather than a life-altering mission that requires something of us. So we open the Bible and we ask, what does this verse mean to me? And determine what it means to my reality. Jesus becomes one more badge on our identity rather than the reality that defines our identity. If we are going to become resilient disciples and develop resilient disciples who remain faithful in exile, we must develop an intimate relationship with Jesus and draw our identity from him. I want to look at five insights about how we can experience Jesus in a way that will help us stay faithful to our true home. Number one, we've got to experience Jesus together. This goes back to last week's practice of meaningful relationships, but 
resilient disciples tend to be loved into their experience of Jesus. There are people in their lives whose love becomes a relational pathway to Jesus. People along the way whose impact shows the way to Jesus. As Kinnaman and Matlock put it, when older adults model deep ways of following Jesus, young people notice. We've got to live our lives in such a way that those coming behind us want to join us on the path and know our experience of Jesus. This is more than just passing on head knowledge about Jesus. Young people need to see a compelling vision in our lives of what it looks like to have an intimate relationship with Jesus and a vital dependence on his spirit. Number two, we've got to make Christ the true north by which we navigate our lives. We must move away from offering brand Jesus and offer Jesus himself. We don't want to create a falsely Christian context that is really just Jesus-y labels slapped onto Babylon's worldview. That may mean that we have to redesign the ways we do some of our ministry around the kind of whole life transformation required for resilient disciple-making. Are our small groups and Bible studies shaped around seeking transformation together in our lives? Does our normal non-COVID Sunday morning structure facilitate the transformation of lives and hearts? If not, are we willing to let Jesus change the way we're the church together? But we also need to speak against the ways the culture of Babylon tries to work its way into the church. This means we must be willing to speak about things that are counter to the culture around us, articulating God's vision for humanity and the world, even when that may be unpopular. Babylon says if it feels good, do it. But God says this is the way, walk in it. It's not about living my truth or you do you. It's about God's design and desire for us. It's about orienting ourselves around Jesus and his transforming grace in our lives. We've got to experience Jesus together. We've got to make Christ our true north in our church and lives. But number three, we've got to shape our identity around Christ. And that requires asking the tough questions. If we're going to anchor our search for identity in something deeper and truer than the constantly changing message of the culture around us, We've got to make space where people feel they have permission to wrestle with the big questions of life. Part of developing resilient disciples is teaching them how to wrestle with those questions and how to let God's word speak to those questions. What you believe matters, but so does why you believe it. It's one thing to say, I believe this because my second grade Sunday school teacher told me it's true. It's another thing to do the hard work of wrestling, reading and studying and asking those further along in their journey. If we're going to develop intimacy with Jesus, it's going to mean offering more than just Sunday school answers and wrestling through those tough questions together. Number four, we've got to get close and stay close to Jesus.
Two of the areas the research from Barna shows to be key priorities for resilient disciples is experiencing God's presence in worship and a desire to grow in faith. Almost 9 out of 10 resilient disciples surveyed said that reading the Bible makes them feel closer to God. More than 8 out of 10 of them said that Jesus speaks to them. That number for churchgoers drops below 45% in both cases. Imagine the hours that David spent practicing with his sling before he could take out a lion or a bear or a giant. We need to spend time building spiritual habits into our lives and practicing them over days and weeks and months. There's an intimacy in the connection that resilient disciples experience with Jesus, and that intimacy leads to identity. Finally, number five, we've got to go to church, but we can't expect church going alone to bring intimacy with Christ. I've said it before and I'll say it again, participating in worship is necessary, but it's not sufficient. I think we sometimes mistake the starting point for the destination. It's good to get people to make a commitment to come to church, but is spending an hour of your week with someone going to make that a life-defining relationship? Back when I was dating Meg, could I have expected our relationship to move toward a life-defining commitment if I only spent one hour a week with her? Could I have expected our relationship to grow after we made that marriage commitment if I continued to only spend one hour a week with her? I can guarantee you that would not be the case. It takes daily investment in a relationship for it to grow beyond familiarity and into the realm of life-giving intimacy. That's true with a spouse, and that's true with God. David found an intimate relationship with God in the midst of countless hours of practicing faithfulness, hidden from the eyes of the world, as God shaped his character, his identity. David was able to step onto the battlefield to face Goliath because he knew the God who was with him, and he knew who God told him that he was. We need to learn that same intimacy with God, to learn to hear from God, to listen to God, and to talk with God. In the words of Kinnaman and Matlock again, more than just believing the right things or feeling warm fuzzies about Jesus, being Christian is more than being on Team Jesus. It means we find the very essence of ourselves at his feet. If we're going to develop followers of Jesus who are resiliently faithful in the midst of cultural coercion and who live vibrant lives in the Spirit, we are going to need to develop an intimacy with Jesus that touches every area of our lives, every corner of our hearts, every part of our identity. Jesus needs to become not just a piece of our identity, but the unifying factor, the defining principle, the source of who we are becoming. Would you pray with me? God, we want to know you, and we want to be known by you. We want to know that same kind of intimacy 
that David knew. The kind of intimacy that drew him close to your heart and sent him out confident in his identity and who you had called him to be. God, we pray that you would help us to develop that kind of intimacy so that we can be the people you've called us to be and we can develop that kind of resilient faith in the lives of those around us and those following us so that we can be the church you've called us to be, a church that proclaims the power of your transforming grace to touch every part of a person's life and to create wholeness and trueness there. God, help us not to view our Christian faith as just a part of our identity, but help us make it the very center of who we are. Help us to build in those practices that help us learn to hear from you and listen to you and talk with you so that we can walk our lives with you. We're grateful for all that you're doing in us in this time. We pray that you'd continue to make us resilient disciples who can stand in the face of cultural coercion and live a vibrant life by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.